Hello, ladies. I'm Deb Haygood. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team, and it is always a great pleasure and a great joy for me to be here with you studying God's Word. So thank you so much for coming. Thank you for being here today. And I also want to thank um, and welcome West Campus. We're so glad that you are joining us this semester as we study the book of Genesis. This study of Genesis, isn't it great? I mean, these stories, um, they're better than any novel that we could read. And the good thing, they're all true. They're all true. This is God's true love story for mankind. And we are in it. So look for yourself um, in this story today. We're going to continue our journey with Jacob as he arrives in Haran and he meets two sisters. And so I've uh, called this lesson The Tale of Two Sisters. And that reminds me of Charles Dickens' book, The Tale of Two Cities. Now, how many of you, um, maybe when you were in English lit class, read something by Charles Dickens? Maybe David Copperfield or Great Expectations, probably all of us read something. How many of you have actually read The Tale of Two Cities? Anybody? Oh, wow, quite a few. Good job. Okay, well, you remember it was set in London and in Paris before and during the French Revolution. And uh, it opens up with this famous paragraph that says, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom, it was the age of foolishness. And a few more contrasts like that, and it comes down to this other well-known line, it was the spring of hope, it was the winter of despair. And today in chapters 29 and 30 of Genesis, we are gonna see the best of times and the worst of times for Jacob and for the two sisters as well. Last week, we left Jacob fleeing from his brother Esau, who had threatened to kill Jacob because Jacob, under the direction of his mother, had deceived his father Isaac into giving him the blessing. Oh, that was complicated last week. Um, now, the blessing has much greater meaning than it has for us today. The blessing was legal, and it was binding, and it had to do with inheritance. And in Isaac's case, it also had to do with passing on the covenant promise of God, the promise that God had made to Abraham for land and descendants and blessing. And so this uh, blessing was the, of the utmost importance. Now today, um, you know, the blessing is kind of different. Um, as good parents, we want to bless all our children, and we want to bless um, them with good things. Now the definition of blessing is anything that promotes happiness, well-being, or prosperity. It really means to add to. And so we want to add to or give to our children those things which um, bless them spiritually and materially and physically and emotionally. This blessing that Isaac gave Jacob, it was different, and it was unique. And we also learn um, and have studied that it was God's plan for Jacob to get the blessing. So all this deception was really unnecessary. Trusting God would have been the way to go. So Jacob flees, but God speaks to him in a dream, and he gives Jacob the covenant promise that he had given to Abraham and to Isaac. And he also promises to bring him back to this land and to be with him always. Now, some of us last week were thinking, hey, why does Jacob get the blessing anyway? He's deceitful. He's lying. He doesn't really look that much better than Esau. Why does he get the blessing? And Amy gave us the answer. It was God's will. Jacob 
was God's choice. Now, that may be hard for us to understand because we don't really know the mind of God. We can't even comprehend the mind of God. Now, we've been talking a lot about God being our friend and he loves us and he's faithful and he's uh, patient and he's good. And also, we must remember God is sovereign. He is the creator, God of the universe. He is in control. And so I have a few verses on your verse sheet to help us um, remember that characteristic of God as well. In Isaiah 14, 24, God says, the Lord of hosts has sworn, as I have planned, so shall it be. And as I have purposed, so shall it stand. Isaiah 55, 8, 9, God says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And then Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40, he asks these questions. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? And with these rhetorical questions, we're reminded we don't teach God anything we don't explain things to God. God knows everything. God is the one that's in control. He is the powerful, sovereign creator of the universe. So with that in mind, let's turn to Genesis 29 and begin reading and studying our lesson today. And we're going to see here the best of times for Jacob. Verse, um, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey, and he came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. So Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And so Jacob says to them, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. So Jacob leaves Bethel where he has made a vow to God and began a friendship with um, God. And now he arrives in Haran, exactly where he wants to be. Now, we don't know how long he's been traveling, but we do know that Bethel is about 450 miles from Haran. So it is a very long journey. But those verses um, or words in verse 1 went on. In the Hebrew, they indicate kind of a spring in Jacob's step. He's motivated for this journey. And that's because after his encounter with the Lord, Jacob's primary purpose for his journey is to find a wife. It's not fleeing from Esau. So he comes to this place and he finds that it's exactly where he wants to be. There's a well, and that's always a good thing because that's water, uh, that's necessary for life. And so it signifies God's blessing. And around this well, he finds some uh, shepherds and some sheep. And uh, they know his uncle Laban. And here comes cousin Rachel walking up. So let's see what happens next. Verse 8. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together. And this, oh, verse seven. He said, behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then 
we water the sheep. Okay, so these two verses are kind of interesting here, exactly what they mean. Um, one thing that we see is that Jacob is pretty talkative, and he's bossy. He's kind of bossing these shepherds that he's just met. And this is quite different from the picture that we had in Jacob back in chapter 25 as this quiet man, kind of the homebody, sitting around the tents, cooking lentil soup. Here he's quite talkative. Um, but one thing we don't see Jacob doing in this passage here is praying. We don't see him praying. Now, maybe he is, but there's no indication of it in Scripture. We see the culture of the time, that there is a well, and it's covered, and they're going to uncover it for the um, flocks to drink. It's covered because that prevents evaporation, and maybe from people unnecessarily coming and taking water. Water is at a premium. This is a dry and arid land, and so they really protect and take care of the water. And so the shepherds, they're going to wait until everybody's there. Maybe it's Laban's well, and they need Rachel's permission. We don't know that, but we see Rachel coming up, so let's see what happens next in verse 9. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and he watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Okay, we get it. That is important. This is Laban, his mother's brother. Um, the author uh, wants us to know that Jacob is exactly where he needs to be. He has found his relatives, his mother's brother, Uncle Laban. And then Jacob kissed Rachel. Rachel and he wept aloud and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebecca's son and she ran and told her father. So we still see um, Jacob being pretty energetic here. He's moving the stone and he's watering the flocks and he kisses Rachel and then he weeps aloud. Now that kiss here was just a customary um, greeting. It wasn't romantic, I don't think. Um, <clears throat> and he is emotional. He's emotional. He, he's not just getting tears in his eyes. It says he weeps aloud. And uh, we kind of get that because it's been a long journey. And here he is among his relatives. And I really understand that because growing up as a little girl, we didn't have computers. We didn't have email. We didn't have cell phone, text, Skype, FaceTime, none of that. And so when I moved to Miami, Florida as a little girl, my um, relatives on my mom's side were in Indiana. And so they would have to drive down. And I can remember my cousins and my grandmother coming to see us. And we were so happy. And the, adult, the adults cried when they got together. We were so happy to see them. And then when they left, we all cried. Because we knew it was going to be a long time before we saw them again. Maybe I would see my grandmother once a year. And I still have this picture of my mom holding my grandmother and crying as she said goodbye to her. So we understand this emotion here on Jacob's part. And we also see that Laban comes running up after he hears the news. And he has emotion too. He receives Jacob with great joy. In fact, he acknowledges that he is family. That's what it means in verse 14 where it says, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And so it says that Jacob stayed with him a month. You know, um, 
so much emotion here, so much joy. They're glad they found each other. It's been 97 years since Rebecca had left. And still, we see no mention of prayer on Jacob's part. Now, this is quite a contrast from when we saw Abraham's servant coming to this place to find a wife for Isaac. There was much prayer. He prayed for guidance. He prayed for favor. He prayed that God would show him just the right wife for Isaac. He thanks God. He praises God and he worships God. So much prayer in chapter 24. And here, we don't really see that. But what we do see is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness to his covenant promise. God's faithfulness is not dependent on Jacob's faithfulness. And that is really a good promise for us to hold on to today. To remember, um, when we accept Jesus as our savior, when we trust in him for our salvation, God is faithful to be with us. He's faithful to be with us in our times of disobedience, in our times when we're not walking with him, in our times of um, willfulness and wrongdoing. God is with us. God is faithful, even when we are not faithful. And so on your verse sheet, I have um, Paul saying to 2 Timothy, saying to Timothy in 2 Timothy, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. So, <clears throat> let's remember that God is faithful even when we're not faithful. Let's go on now and look at verse 15, and here comes the worst of times for Jacob. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Let me just stop there for one second and talk about Leah's eyes were weak. What does that mean? Well, there are several different thoughts in the, among theologians. Some think that weak just means they were delicate. You know, they were nice, but they were delicate. But because it's, we see this contrast, but Rachel was beautiful, you get the picture here that Leah's eyes were not her best feature. They were not all that attractive. So probably a better explanation for weak would mean that they were light in color, which was not preferred in that day and culture. They preferred dark, sparkling eyes. Leah's eyes may have been light in color, or they may have been weak so that she was nearsighted. She didn't see very well. I can appreciate that, both of those things. I've been wearing glasses since third grade and I've got light eyes. So um, we appreciate poor Leah, but we can see here that Rachel was the one that was beautiful in form and appearance. And so we read in verse uh, 18 there, Jacob loved Rachel and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Laban makes this deal with Jacob to work um, for his, uh, for, to have the hand of Rachel in marriage. Now, that was really a pretty um, substantial offer. Because if you take what a laborer made in one day and you multiply that by seven years, it was a very generous offer. Now, you remember that Abraham's servant came with gifts. He came with jewelry and camels and all kinds of gifts. But Jacob comes empty-handed. 
He has nothing to offer but his labor. So they make this deal. And since it is very generous, Laban sees that Jacob's um, eagerness for Rachel, and he's going to exploit this. Just like we saw Jacob exploit Esau's eagerness for the lentil stew. Um, also notice here that Laban never quite says that he would give Rachel to Jacob after seven years of work, but he leads Jacob to that conclusion. So let's go on and see what happens. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place, and they made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah, exclamation point. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? So what's going on here? What is happening? Why did it take so long for Jacob to realize this was Leah? Well, let's talk a minute about the culture. When they got married, there was a big celebration. Um, it would last for a whole week. And the wedding day, that first day, the bride would be dressed in veils, covered from head to toe. And she would probably have lots of jewelry on her. She'd also have another little um, veil in front of her face that was probably darker. Um, she could see out, but they couldn't really see her face. And so the wedding celebration goes on, and then night comes, and Jacob and Leah go into the tent. They're going to consummate the marriage. Um, Ted talked about this on Sunday, there are no lights, there's no lanterns, it's very dark. Probably they didn't even light a candle. So they consummate the marriage and the sun comes up and the next morning Jacob sees it's Leah. It's Leah, the older sister. And so Jacob is unhappy, he's shocked, he's upset, he's probably pretty angry and he goes to Laban and he says, why have you deceived me? And I've looked in several translations, and they all use the word deceived me. And I think that is uh, interesting because isn't that the pot calling the kettle black? Jacob, whose name means deceiver, has met his match in Laban, who is full of trickery and deceit. So Laban gives him an excuse. Let's read it in verse 26. Laban said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other, also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and he served Laban for another seven years. So Laban offers this kind of weak excuse here, kind of like, oh, sorry, guess I forgot to mention that we have to marry the older before the younger, but, you know, um, just have that celebration week with her, and then we'll give you Rachel, and you can have another celebration week with her, and then begin seven more years of work for me. And that's what I think Laban really wanted. He wanted seven more years of labor from Jacob. The interesting thing here is you don't see any comments from Jacob. There's no response. 
It just says he did so. And I think that is because the minute he heard those words, younger and older, Jacob instantly realizes that is the trick that he had pulled on his father Isaac when he, as the younger, pretended to be the older. And in this situation, we see God's discipline. Ross says that God orders the affairs of people to set things right. Jacob, the manipulative deceiver, is manipulated and deceived by his uncle Laban. This really is God's um, principle set in motion, and we see it very clearly here, that we reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Jacob was manipulative and deceitful, and he is manipulated and deceived. On your verse sheet, I have Galatians 6, 7, and 8. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, this was God's discipline for Jacob, and it was out of love for Jacob because God wanted Jacob to trust in him, not to manipulate and to be deceptive, to get his way in every situation. Jacob needed to walk with God and to trust God. God's discipline was out of love for Jacob. And we read that um, in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews is reminding that. He's actually quoting from Proverbs 3. This is Solomon speaking. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. This was out of love. It was the right path for um, Jacob to take, and actually, um, trusting God is an easier path than manipulation and deception. But we're going to see that it will take a few more lessons before Jacob really truly learns this lesson. And I love Jacob for that because that's how it is with me. I don't always learn the lesson. I usually don't learn God's lessons the first time. It takes me several times before I learn God's lesson. So remember, God disciplines those he loves. Although it is unpleasant, God's discipline for us is a good thing, and it's for our benefit. So let's continue on with verse 31. Before we start there, though, when we see this word hated, I just want to say that hated is not the way we think of it today. When it says Jacob hated um, Rachel, it's more of a form of comparison. Like it says in 30 that he um, loved Rachel more than Leah. It was a comparison. He favored Rachel more than Leah. We're going to see Jacob, who grew up in a family of favoritism, which brought pain and sorrow and grief and separation, we're gonna see Jacob continue that path of favoritism as he creates a divided and competitive family that is gonna suffer these things. You know, some theologians have suggested that God's choice of a wife for Jacob was Leah that it was Leah, and I've often wondered what would it have been like if Jacob had just kept that one wife, Leah? What heartache and pain and sorrow might have been avoided? So think about that, contemplate that in these weeks to come when we are gonna see this family involved in much division and competition and anger and even great cruelty. So let's go on now and read verse 31. We're gonna see in this section the best of times for Leah. 
When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. In this section, we see the best of times for Leah. Although Jacob loves Rachel more, Leah is the one that we see who really has the genuine faith. God has blessed Leah with children, and she gives God the credit. And we see that clearly in the names of her children. Her firstborn, Reuben, see a son. That's a wordplay on God has seen my affliction. The second son, Simeon, is the one who hears. We get the picture that Leah is praying to God, talking to God, and he hears her. And that third son means attached. Levi's name means attached. And her hope is that these sons that come rather quickly uh, will bring affection and intention from Jacob, which apparently doesn't happen. And so by the time her fourth son comes along, she's just praising the Lord Judah's name means praise. And we see here that she is satisfied. She's content in the Lord at this point. So I see here that Leah is an example of us to turn to God, to lean on him in our times of affliction, in our times of adversity or hardship or sorrow or disappointment, to trust in God. Because over and over again, we see in scripture um, that God gives special attention to the friendless, to the unloved, to the mistreated. One of those verses is in Psalm 34, 18, where we read, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. And then we see the psalmist pray in Psalm 86, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. In my Bible, next to verses that I pray for people, I will write their name. And so next to this verse, I have written my daughter-in-law's name, Erin. And the date that she had her surgery for thyroid cancer when she was four months pregnant. Now, that was a hard time. Uh, let me say the surgery went well, and little baby Finley was born a few months later, strong and healthy. But that was a hard time leading up to this surgery. And... Um, I was sad for my daughter-in-law and my son and this unborn baby girl. And what was there to do but to call out to the Lord and ask for grace on my family? I remembered one time that a friend had said, don't waste the pain, Deb. Don't waste the pain. You know, call out to God and grow close to God in times of adversity or maybe in your times of loneliness or times of hardship or sadness or fear, call out to God. Remember, God is close to the brokenhearted. Let's go on um, and look at these next section. We just saw the best of times for Leah, but now we're gonna see the worst of times for Rachel. So chapter 30, verse one. 
When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister, and she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Okay, so what we see here is Rachel is uh, she envies Leah because Leah has children and Rachel has none. So a rivalry begins. A rivalry begins here. And you know, it's interesting because Leah has Jacob's sons, but not his love. Rachel has Jacob's love, but she has no sons. And they want both. They want love and significance. And that's what we want today too. We want love and significance. So Rachel goes to Jacob and she kind of yells at him and she gives this ultimatum and she says, give me children or I shall die. Now we think that sounds a little overly dramatic, but really in that day and time, it was a very humiliating and embarrassing and painful place to be childless because children gave the wife significance. And Rachel had none. So Rachel yells at Jacob. He gets angry and he yells back. Um, and we see, though, that Jacob does realize that God is the giver of children. He recognizes um, that they come from the Lord. Even so, he doesn't go and ask God to give Rachel a child. This is what his father Isaac had done. You may remember um, back when Rebecca was barren, Isaac went to the Lord and asked God to give her children. Instead, Jacob goes along with Rachel's sinful, foolish plan of sleeping with Rachel's maidservant, Bilhah. Now, where have we seen that before? <laughs> That's what Sarah did. She gave her maidservant to Abraham. And you might remember that did not go well for Sarah or Abraham or the maidservant Hagar or the offspring Ishmael. In fact, it has had dramatic ramifications down through the centuries. Nevertheless, Jacob sleeps with Bilhah, and Bilhah has a son, and Rachel names him Dan, and that means judged. And then Bilhah has a second son, and Rachel names him Naphtali. In fact, let's look down here at verse 8. Then Rachel said, with mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. Now that um, prevailed, some of your translation says one and um, you know, I'm not sure why Rachel thinks she's won here because it seems like the score is still four to two if you're keeping track. Um, but she says she's won. We also don't see Rachel putting her faith in God with these names for her sons. Instead, what we see is envy and jealousy and competition. It's all about the rivalry. And now we're going to see Leah get caught up in that as well. You know, Lee, um, envy, jealousy, rivalry, it's never a good thing. In fact, we're going to see Leah, her faith seems a little diminished here, and definitely her contentment seems to have vanished. So let's go on, verse 9. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. 
So now Jacob has Zilpah. And I have to think how complicated Jacob is making things. First he has two wives. Now he's sleeping with two maidservants. How complicated and hard this situation has become. You know, God's plan has always been monogamy. One wife. We saw God institute that back in Genesis with Adam and Eve. I even put that verse on your verse sheet, Genesis 2, 24. says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Things are pretty um, complicated here, but Jacob goes in, he sleeps with Zilpah, and over time she has two sons. Leah names them Gad, which means uh, good fortune has come, and then Zilpah has a second son, Asher, and that means happy. So I guess if you're keeping score, you could say it's six to two. Uh, Leah has four of her own, two from Zilpah, so that makes six, and then Rachel has none of her own, two from her um, maidservant, Bilhah. So what's the next offensive plan? Let's go on and look at verse 14. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. Okay, a mandrake was a little yellowish fruit, um, kind of grew wild, they were pleasant to the taste, um, and they were thought to be an aphrodisiac. They were thought to help with conception. And so Rachel sees this, and that you remember Reuben, he's the oldest of all these sons. He's probably maybe five or six. He goes out and he finds some, and he brings them back to his mom. Rachel sees that, and she says to Leah, please let me have them. Uh, of course, Leah's like, what? You've taken my husband, now you want the mandrakes. So Rachel says, okay, give me the mandrakes, and you can sleep with Jacob tonight. Apparently, Rachel has the authority to kind of make those arrangements. That possibly could be why Leah had said, you've taken my husband. So she makes that arrangement, and then the verses go on to say that Leah goes out as uh, Jacob is coming in from the field and says to him, you are gonna sleep with me tonight because I've hired you. You know, wow. And... <laughs> And have you thought about Jacob? Here he comes in from the field and he's dirty and he's tired and he's been with the animals and he sees Leah coming and he's probably thinking, what now? You know, what is going on now? And she says, you're sleeping with me. I mean, what a mess. But he does sleep with Leah and she becomes pregnant again. And she has a son, and she names him Issachar. Um, now, it's hard to know exactly what that means. It sounds like, to me, maybe she was just trying to justify herself before God for giving Jacob Zilpah, the maidservant. But Leah becomes pregnant again, and she has Zebulon. And then, let's read verse 21. It says, afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. I want us to point that out here because we're going to see Dinah in a couple weeks. And I want you to remember that Dinah is the daughter of Leah and Jacob. 
So Leah has the sixth son, Zebulun, and that name sounds a lot like the word honor in hopes that maybe she might become uh, the number one wife, that she might have that honor. She's still hoping for Jacob's love and attention. Now, these sons are very important, and that's why we're gonna, why we've spent so much time talking about them, because they are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel, and their descendants will make up the nation Israel. Now, we're going to look at a chart in just a minute, but first, I want to finish this section because here we see the best of times for Rachel. Verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel, and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. Finally, Rachel has a son. And more importantly, she has come to realize that it is God's will and God's work. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Children come from God. So she's come to realize that. She sees that giving um, Jacob her maidservant didn't work. She's seeing that the mandrakes didn't work. None of that helped. In fact, you even have to wonder how long Rachel really felt like she was winning. You know, I think that is uh, how it is for us. Oftentimes, um, when we have wrong, selfish acts apart from God's will, we have a momentary pleasure, but it quickly fades. So Rachel, she has now given up the rivalry, and she trusts God, and she calls out to God, and God listens to her, and she has a son, Joseph. And we see Rachel's faith when she asks God, for one more son because she realizes God is the one that gives these sons. And she is gonna have one more son. Um, in chapter 35, uh, we will see Rachel have um, Jacob's 12th son and he will name him Benjamin. So let's look now at this uh, chart. You got a copy of that at the table today. We're gonna put it up on the screen. And I just wanna say something about it real quickly here. Um, you see the... This is a whole chart of Adam's descendants. And the important thing is Jacob and his two wives, Leah and Rachel, and then also the maidservants, Bilhah and Zilpah. And there you have the sons under their moms. And this is important because in the weeks to come, we are gonna be talking a lot about these sons. And it's hard to remember who goes with which mom. I also wanna point out real quickly that Leah, her son, Judah, her fourth son, Judah, it's from his line that comes King David and also eventually will come Jesus Christ. So Jesus comes from the line of Judah, the son of Leah and Jacob. Okay, so as this battle to have children comes to an end, we see lots of different applications. I wanna just point out two um, thoughts here. The first one, uh, God is faithful to keep his promise of descendants to Jacob. He keeps his promise of descendants. John Constable says in his notes, God is gracious to keep his promise in spite of, rather than because of the behavior of the parents. God blesses Jacob in spite of his behavior and gives him these descendants. A second thing I want us to take note of, um, jealousy, envy, favoritism, it leads to bitterness and conflict and heartache. It's never gonna turn out well. As believers, we wanna remember to trust God to give his blessings wisely and justly and compassionately 
focus on that. Trust God to give us those blessings. You know, we may not get everything we think we want, but God is going to give us good things, good blessings um, that are for our good and for his glory. On your verse sheet, I have the very well-known verse. Uh, I love Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has plans to give us good things. So let's finish up. We're gonna quickly go through this last section here, and we're gonna see that it's both the worst of times and the best of times for Jacob. So let's start uh, reading in verse 25. As soon as Rachel had borne Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, if I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. Jacob said to him, you yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? You know, Joseph's born, the seven years have been completed, and Jacob wants to get out of there. He wants to go back home. But Laban knows that his wealth has greatly increased because of Jacob. He has seen that the Lord is with him. And so he says, name your wages. Now, we've heard that before. And uh, uh, Jacob's on the lookout now for another trick from Laban. So he proposes this plan that he would continue working for Laban and the payment, his wages, would be all the speckled or spotted sheep and goats and all the black lambs. Now these were the less common in that day. Most of the sheep and goats would have been white and so Laban thinks, hmm, sounds like a good deal to me. So he says, I agree. Um, and then in verse 36, he pulls out all the off-colored uh, sheep and goats and he takes them three days journey away and leaves them with his sons. Now it's hard to know if this was a trick um, by Laban or if this was part of the plan, if this was agreed on or if Laban was still trying to trick him. But it doesn't matter because Jacob has um, a trick up his sleeve as well. And in verse 37, it has to do with sticks of poplar branches. He kind of peels them so it looks like there's white stripes on them. And then he lays them in front of the watering troughs so that when the uh, flocks come in to breed, they will see that and that will cause them to have spots and streaks and colors. And um, this is probably just a superstition. It had no more power than the mandrakes. But one thing that Jacob does do that shows um, good breeding, uh, which is a little tricky, but he takes Laban's weak flock and breeds them with other weak uh, flock of Laban's so that that flock becomes weaker. And then he takes um, his strong speckled sheep and goats and breeds them with other strong speckled goats, so that his flocks become stronger. But the bottom line in all of this, we read in verse 43, where it says, thus the man, that's Jacob, increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Jacob's flocks increased greatly. Now, there's more details to this that we're gonna see next week, so I'm not gonna talk about it, but we're gonna learn a lot more about it. And what we do see next week is that Jacob credits God with increasing his livestock. He gives God the credit. So, 
That's the best of times for Jacob. He's been a little slow in catching on to the lesson to never um, replace dependence on God with human schemes. A little slow, but he's beginning to see that the blessings come from the Lord. And he's acknowledging that. And he's giving God the credit that the blessings are coming from God. The lessons um, are the same for us as well. Never replace dependence on God with human schemes. Never replace that dependence with our own human foolish schemes. And also, let's remember to recognize and acknowledge that our blessings materially, spiritually, physically, emotionally, they come from the Lord. They come from the Lord. Good gifts come from the Lord. On your verse sheet, I have James 1.17 that says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Good gifts come from the Lord. So as we close this section, we've talked about many things. We've had many lessons, uh, many applications here, and we're not gonna remember them all. So if you can remember just one, just one thought, one application that stirred your soul, one thought that drew you closer to God, then just remember that and apply that as you walk along with the Lord in your good times, best of times, and in your worst of times. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you are such a good God and you give us good gifts. And Lord, we so often don't see it. We don't trust you. We think we want other things. Lord, I just pray for each of us in here as we read these stories and we learn these lessons, Lord, just draw us closer to you. May we trust in you more and more. May we really see that you have the very best for us and trust you for that. And let go of envy and jealousy and rivalry and um, deceit and manipulation, Lord, and just follow you, walk with you. Father, thank you so much for all these ladies that come and they study your word and they love you, Lord. I just pray that you would draw them ever closer to you. Bless us, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.